encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Um, we've been working through Ephesians for quite some time, but it's been a long time since we've got back to it. And we're looking really over the, the recent times we were there, we're looking at how Paul's teaching is, is doctrine, how the teaching of the faith that he laid out in the first chapters is really now worked out through the practicalities of, of family life. And in the last ones, it was about the relationship between wives and husbands. What we're looking at tonight in chapter 6 is how the teaching of the church works its way out in terms of the relationship within the families of children and parents. So I'm going to read from verse 1 of chapter 6. And we read, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Just one thing before we move into that, I just want to clear something up. Uh, I think we've got conflicting information coming out from what I could see up on the screen. It was saying there's a prayer meeting on Wednesday, but from what I read in the What's On, I see that it's a growth group on Wednesday. Would I be right, Elliot, that it's a growth group? There you are. Elliot says it's a growth group, so it is a growth group. Okay, so make sure you don't turn up for the prayer meeting, but if you do, you can go along to John's group that meets in the church. But anyway, there we are. So let's just come and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we want to come and give thanks to you, first of all, for the way that you bless us in our lives and for the way that we can express our gratitude to you. Thank you for the offering that was brought tonight and for the love that accompanied that, for the commitment and faith. And we pray that as it's given to you, that you will honour our giving and that you will bless it and use it in mighty ways. And Father, we thank you also for the way that you speak into the practical areas of life. We thank you for the teaching you give us here and what it really means to be a family and how we relate with one another. Father, just help us to apply this, to work this teaching through in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I like those few wee notes that came out. That was lovely. Okay. Do you know one surefire way that shows that you're getting old? Besides looking in the mirror, which I found works very well. But beside that, I think it's when you find yourself bemoaning the behaviours and attitudes of children and young people. That's that. I often find myself doing it. And my wife just says, well, you know, didn't you used to be worse than that? And usually I was. So anyway, here are some examples, though, that I found just reading around this week. I've shortened them just very slightly and maybe change the word or two just to help them flow and help it to understandable. Here's the first one. I have found by sad experience how the towns and streets today are filled with rude and often wicked children. Many as they play about the streets are heard to regularly curse and swear. Second comment that I found, the world is passing through troubled times. The young people of today think of nothing but themselves. They have no reverence or respect either for parents or old people. They talk as if they know everything. And what passes with wisdom for us is foolishness to them. 
As for the girls, they are followed, immodest and unladylike in speech, behaviour and dress. What do you think of that? Maybe if you're a bit older, you're ready, I don't know, to nod your head in encouragement. They put there into words exactly what you feel. Perhaps if you're a bit younger, you maybe feel a bit more like shaking your head in disgust. You know, here we go again. The old ones having a go at us. Well, what about this then? The first quote that I read was written by a Robert Russell in 1695. The second quote is taken from a sermon by Peter the Hermit, written in 1274. It did make me think he must have been really crabby. I mean, a hermit doesn't see other people. What's he doing complaining about children? And then to top it all off, Socrates, the Greek philosopher who died in 399 BC, he once wrote, the children now love luxury. They have bad manners, contempt for authority. They have showed disrespect for elders and they love chatter rather than exercise. Children now are tyrants, not the servants of their household. They no longer rise when elders enter the room. I should bring that back. They contradict their parents, chatter before company, gobble up dainties at the table, cross their legs, that's a bad one, and tyrannise their teachers, so some things have never changed. So it all goes to show that just we said this morning, just as the Bible says, there really is nothing new under the sun. But you know, there is, I think, one important new thing going on today that differentiates family life in times past with what we're seeing going on in our contemporary Western culture. That is, in the degree to which and the speed at which we see long-respected values and standards and expectations of behaviour simply being swept away. And Sinclair Ferguson, much respected Scottish Bible teacher, he makes this comment about this. Western societies that sowed the wind in their rejection of biblical teaching are beginning to reap the whirlwind, beginning to reap the whirlwind in the disintegration of family life. But listen, I want to tell you, none of this takes God by surprise. What we are doing as a society, the way we're living as a society, the direction that we're heading in, none of this takes God by surprise. Surprise. For Paul, inspired by, by the Lord on more than one occasion in the Bible, he makes it clear that the disintegration of family life and family values is among the signs of the last days. I tell you, as I see things, the speed at which this process is now accelerated is surely a sign that we are now at the last of the last days, that the end really is near. Just listen to what Paul says in 2 Timothy 3. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, 
lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, and so it goes on. But doesn't that ring bells? I tell you, it certainly does for me. So what we're going to look at now is in the face of this, in the face of a world where family life, as it's long been known, is largely seen as outdated, where family values, family itself, seems to sometimes be almost disintegrating before our very eyes, what we're going to look at, moving on from what Paul recently covered, as I said, we looked at some time ago now about the relationship between wives and husbands, is now the relationship between children and parents. That is really God's way for family life. The way that God wants us to live in families. The way he wants us to behave towards another in our family life in order that our families might shine something of God's light into the increasing darkness of today's prevailing culture. So let's look then at what God has to say. Looking first at a duty with qualification required of children, and then just at one duty of parents, with the the focus here being, for reasons we'll, we'll make clear later, the focus being on fathers. And the duty of children can be summed up in a word. Obligation. The obligation God lays upon us to obey our parents. Verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, Sinclair Ferguson, I've already quoted, gives great help and structure in this whole passage. But you know, John Stott, too, has got great insight into this, these verses here. For what he points out is that Paul's, uh, Paul's appeal here to children is based, first of all, on natural law on natural revelation, on what we see in the world around us. That's what he says there. First one, for this is right. That this is then a part of the the natural law, the law that Paul tells in Romans 2, 14 and 15, that God has written on every human heart. And so because of this, in almost every society that there has ever been in all of human history, in every society, There has been a basic understanding that children should be obedient to their parents. That there should be order and structure in family life. That there is a natural, observable, common sense way in which family life should ideally operate it. Now, at times in human history, in some societies... The way that this has been implemented, the way that this has been lived out, hasn't always been all that we would want. There have been excesses. Things like discipline, etc., have gone too far. There have been imbalances. But there has also been a basic agreement on the fundamental structure of family life. Pagan societies, Muslim, Buddhist, Hindu, all have agreed. Our society, though, our Western culture, is one of, if not the first in human history, to reject, basically, this, this natural order in family life. That in a family, 
Children should respect and obey their parents. That parents should love for and care for and protect their children. That children should have a father and a mother who've made a lifelong commitment to one another and who'll stick together through thick and thin, who will put the interests and the needs of their family before their own wants and desires. Now much of this has been rejected and at least is largely ignored within our society. To say that there is such a thing as a preferred structure for family life is seen almost today as a criminal offence and may soon be a criminal offence. And in today's world, words like obedience and duty and respect are largely seen as outdated, nasty little words. Much more important are terms like my rights, my freedom, my happiness, to be who I want to be, to do what I want to do in order that I might be fulfilled. So we have rejected what is natural and we are beginning, just beginning, to reap the whirlwind. But let me just here be very clear about one thing. I just want to be clear about this. I think we've got lots of incredible children and young people in this country today. And I think we've got more than our fair share of them in this church. But listen, that is despite, not because of the way our society is structured and the direction in which it's heading. But this fact that children should be obedient to their parents isn't just part of the natural law isn't just something that, that we see and understand by, by a God-given instinct to something that's right and practical and sensible. No, this is also something that is part of God's law, God's revealed word, something that is clearly revealed in God's word as something that he expects of his people and that he sees as vitally important, of vital importance to the extent that this is one of the Ten Commandments, one of those ten fundamental, foundational principles for life that God gives to his people right in the early stages of his relationship with them at the beginning of the Old Testament. But you see here in, in Ephesians 6, 2 and 3, what Paul's doing is he's quoting from and combining together what's actually said in the two places in the Old Testament where this commandment is found. Exodus 20, verse 12, Deuteronomy 5, Verse 16, honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. There are a few things I think that need to be made clear here. First, as you read around the Old Testament, it soon becomes clear that the main way in which particularly younger children are called to honour their parents is by obeying them. And let me tell you, the Old Testament punishments for failing to honour your parents in this way, for instead dishonouring them by disobedience, the punishments are severe in the Old Testament, right up to the point of death, you might want to know. Exodus 21 from verse 15, it says, Anyone who strikes or curses his mother or father shall be put to death. And then Deuteronomy 27, 18 on it says, 
any defiant, stubborn, disobedient son shall be killed. Now, just let me say the strength of what's said there about disobedience, defiance, etc. I think that suggests, and we certainly, I think, have to believe that punishment of this kind, to this extent, was to be reserved for serious, extremely serious, repeat offenders. You didn't get put to death for not making your bed in the morning. That's what I'm trying to say. And we're not suggesting we should bring that in. Maybe on the second day, but definitely not the first. But you know, what this does underline for me, what it underlines, is just how important God sees order and structure being within the family. That without strong families, you can't have a strong and stable society. And God wants his people to be in there, to be strong. And so he calls children within Christian families to be obedient. What this does also, though, for me, is that, you know, it makes me thankful for Jesus. It makes me thankful because though these commands do still stand, I believe, yet the punishments don't stand because Jesus has taken the punishment for us all. What Paul says here, though, about this being the first commandment with a promise also requires, I think, a bit of clarification, as does what the nature of this promise actually is as well. You know, there in verse 3, that it might go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. So this is the first commandment with a promise. Well, you know, some would want to argue that that's actually not the case. That the second commandment in Exodus 20, verse 4, forbidding idolatry, that this also has a promise that's attached to it. You're promising love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. But you see, I want to say to you that there is a difference there. Because that promise is a general promise. It's attached to all the commandments. Those who keep each of God's command then are in a special way objects of God's love. But this here that we're looking at now is the first commandment with a particular promise attached to it alone. That those who obey, that those who honour their parents are seemingly promised first material prosperity, that it may go well with you, and also health and long life, that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Now, I think this could mean a number of different things. It could mean that an individual who lives like this, who obeys, who honours their parents, that this kind of person, because of the habits and discipline that this fosters in their life, that this then leads on to the kind of well-functioning and stable life that more than likely, not inevitably, because there's always the exception to the rule, that more than likely, living this kind of life will lead to us progressing in life, will lead to us doing well in life, to us living long and healthy lives. Or alternatively, this could instead be applied to society. That a society where children are taught to obey their parents, where this is seen as the norm, 
the thing that's expected. And where surely as the foundation for all this, family life is valued and respected, that this is the kind of society that will be stable and will flourish. Finally, what is promised here to children and to, to societies that honour God, that please God by honouring their parents, well, this could also be understood, as is often the case when we move from the Old Testament to the New, as being rather than, than physical blessing, rather than material blessing, being something far more precious, the spiritual blessing of God, poured into our lives, poured into our society, with all that means in terms of grace and mercy and peace and joy. I want to say personally, I think we can expect to experience all of these. That when we are the kind of people whose children honour their parents by obedience, that when we fulfil this obligation, this demand that God lays on his people here, that we will know the varied, multifaceted, richest blessing of God. Let's move on now to the qualification that Paul adds here to this obligation to obedience. And I believe it's summed up in verse 1 in three words. In the Lord. That's the qualification. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Now, what I believe this tells us first is what should motivate, what should motivate particularly Christian children, those who are themselves Christian, to this kind of obedience. And it's the fact that this is set in the context of the Lord. That this is an expression of our relationship with the Lord. Because we know that as we live like this, we know that we're doing his will, bringing him joy, and we know that our obedience is more and more forming us in character into the people he wants us to be. So while all children should be obedient, because it is right, because nature, common sense, the needs of society cry out for that. Yet for Christian children, young people, there is an even greater motivator to obedience. Even than pleasing our parents, even than strengthening our families and strengthening our society. For Christian children, are motivated to this obedience because they know this pleases the God that they love with all their hearts. But that qualifying phrase in the Lord doesn't only, I believe, uncover a deeper level of motivation. No, I believe it also points to the power, the power that enables Christians to live like this. Because let's face it, we don't have to be children. Obedience isn't easy for any of us. We all like to get our own way. We all like to do what we want to do. But you see, in the Lord, in his strength, by his enabling power, the power of the Holy Spirit, in him, as we seek him, we are given the power that takes us beyond the natural, the power that enables us to obey. But in the Lord also, I think, suggests something of what the, the parameters, of what the limits are 
to this obedience that God calls his children to. That is, we are called to be obedient in the Lord. So, we should be obedient to our parents, but only up to the point where obedience to them would lead us into disobedience to God. At that point, obedience to God must, I believe, come first. Let me just give some examples. Say if obedience to parents was to lead a child into criminality. You know, we're a bit short for the shopping this week. How about you just go out and do a, a wee bit of shoplifting? Well, I think at that point, a child needs to seek help from the school, from the authorities, and for a Christian child, from the church. But what about, say, if your parents are non-Christians? What about that? And they don't like your faith, so they forbid you from, from worshipping. What should a Christian child do then? Well, I would say that while you're under the age recognised in this country today as the age of responsibility, 18, then I would say that probably physically you shouldn't go where your parents tell you not to go. shouldn't go to church. But here, if they command you not to worship Jesus in your heart, mind and spirit, if that's what they mean, then that command cannot be obeyed. No matter who demands that of us, no matter who, because Jesus is Lord. Jesus comes first, must come first in our heart, mind and spirit. Now a question some of us though might have is, listen, I'm a child, I've got parents, but I'm also an adult. I'm married with my own children, so how does what Paul say here apply to me? How can it possibly apply? Well, honestly, I believe that when we, we become adults in our own right, and certainly when we marry and that new relationship becomes our primary relationship, that then we are no longer under that absolute obligation to obedience that Paul calls us to here. However, I would say that God's command that we honour our parents that that command is one whose demands remain unchanged, no matter what our age or what our circumstances. We are called to honour them in that we're called to respect them. We're called to care for them. We're called to listen to their advice and take it very seriously, even though ultimately we might not follow it. That is God's call to any Christian child, no matter what their age. Well, we've looked at what God has to say to children. Let's finish by looking briefly at what he has to say to parents. And as far as, as far as the duties of parents are concerned, there's just one word here that I'd like to focus on, and that word is limitation. Limitation. That is the limitation that Paul sets here upon the authority, particularly of fathers. Fathers, he says, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, let me just give you just a little bit of background to set this in context. That is, in the world that Paul was writing into here, a Greek father had absolute authority over his children, 
such as a king at the time, would have over his subjects. In Judaism, much of Judaism, a father's authority was seen as akin to that of God's authority over the world. They had the accepted right to beat, degrade, and to imprison their children. And as we've just touched on a while ago, in the most serious of cases, a father, with the consent of the mother, could put a child to death, with this being legally sanctioned. It was legal. And in Roman law, the situation was actually, if you can believe it, even worse. This is what one guy, Harold Honer, what he tells us. He tells us that in the Roman family, the father's control over his son was for life. He could imprison his son, scourge, shame, and punish him, sell him into slavery up to three times, or have him killed. The son's position in the community was of no consequence. For instance, though he might be a magistrate, he was still under his father's authority. The father had more authority over his son than a master had over his slaves. Just want to say to the young people here tonight, the next time you get grounded, don't complain. Just reflect that if it wasn't for the in influence of Christianity on this country, you could instead be whipped or put to death. So just reflect upon that instead of grumping in your room. But in this context, by the, way, by the way he seeks to throw a very different slant on the meaning and purpose of, of parenting, by in this way, as he does here, suggesting this kind of limit on the authority of a father, well, Paul here is really revolutionising the accepted view of what it meant to be a parent of parenting at this time. For he tells fathers, and by extension he tells both parents, don't exasperate your children. What he's saying is, don't bully your children. Don't be harsh or cruel to them. Don't shame them or ridicule them, perhaps in comparison to another child or even a sibling. Don't do this. Because young children particularly are easily damaged and hurt. By this you can crush them or make them bitter and angry. You can damage them in such a way that without God's intervention and God's healing, they will be affected for, for life. But please, as I say this, just what I add, just please understand, this isn't a call not to discipline children, not to set limits on them, and not to set them on the right way. Rather, this is a call to discipline them, but in the right way and with the right motivation. Because Paul goes on in verse 4, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, now that opening phrase, bring them up, is really talking about, I think, the attitude that parents should have towards their children. The attitude which then forms the way they behave towards them and their expect expectations of them. Because you see, the word at the heart of that phrase literally means to feed, to nourish, to nurture. Calvin's translation of this here is let children be fondly 
cherished. Deal gently with them. And then Paul goes on here to speak about what the nature of a parent's input should be. He says, bring them up in the instruction, the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, you know, these two words are actually very similar in their meaning, very close. But those who are experts in biblical languages suggest that the emphasis in instruction is on the verbal, theoretical type of learning and input. While with discipline, the emphasis is more on the practical, on walking through something with a child, on unpacking the practical implications and repercussions of what they do. That's what this is being talked about. That's what God is calling us to. And finally, please note that this training and instruction here is to be of the Lord. That's what he says. Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. That is, it's to be conducted in a way that's consistent with the Lord and with his character. And it's to be infused with the Lord, infused with all that he is, with the aim by it of leading that child to want to know this God for themselves. Well, you know, I know this isn't a subject that's often preached on. I don't know. Maybe that needs to change, maybe. I don't know. But I would say this. If we believe our society today is in a perilous state, and I do, then if that situation is going to be turned around, I think it has to begin with families. It has to begin with children being brought up in the Lord. It has to begin with parents in the church taking their responsibilities to their children, spiritually as well as physically, taking them seriously. Let me just finish with a quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. And this was written a while ago at a time when our society was, I believe, in a significantly healthier state. And this is what he says. If parents but gave as much thought to the rearing of their children as they do to the rearing of their animals and flowers, the situation could be very different. Let's come and pray together. Father, we want to thank you that outside of our relationship with Jesus Christ, that there's nothing that you give to us that is a greater gift than the families that you've placed us in. And Father, you want us to be the right kind of family. You want us to be families that are full of your love and character, where people are valued, where children are seen as a great gift and where they're nurtured and nourished and led. Father, we pray that you'll help us. Help us at whatever point we're at in our life to fulfill the role that you've called us to fill, to behave in our lives in the way that you call us to behave. Father, be with us. And we know that this isn't something that is natural for us. We need to do this in the Spirit, by the power of your Spirit. For you are the God who alone can enable this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.